Thank you, guys. Um, uh, before we dive into our passage this morning, which is the book of Philemon, uh, just to let you know kind of uh, a little more going on in the life of our church right now, um, we, are, we are not a large staff, uh, but we're going through some staff transitions, one of which is that Heather, uh, on top of directing our worship, is she's a private tutor, uh, and that part of her vocation has been growing, which is awesome, but also means that she's needing to step back from uh, some of her role as the director of worship. So we're looking, uh, starting now, for a new director of worship. So we'll be publishing that, putting that out there, but also want to let you know so that if you or anyone you know might be interested in that, to have them contact uh, myself or Tammy, the, the president of our council. And then we are uh, seriously pursuing um, hiring uh, folks for, or, or receiving applications for a director of youth and family ministries, which is something we've been operating without a particular staff person uh, overseeing that ministry for a few months now. And we have a fantastic team that's been doing an amazing job. But we're eager to get someone in there who can set aside time during the week to pay attention to that. So I say all of that to ask for your prayer, for that God will bring the right people into those roles to help lead us, to help lead those ministries in our church, um, but also to access the networking power of this community <laughs> to get the word out there, um, to pass along people that you might think uh, would be good fits for those roles as well. All right. This has nothing to do with anything. I'm just curious how many people stayed up until 1.30 to finish the Husky game last night? <laughs> a couple of people. I want to know so that I can, I can maintain eye contact. <laughs> Your dad, your dad did. Yeah. Where's your dad this morning? That's what I want to know. <laughs> I don't know how that transitions into what we're going to do right now. but, um, And I don't know whether to say well done or I'm sorry or... Yeah, so... We, the score, oh, they lost by last second field goal. The Cougars won. Okay. We're <laughs> I shouldn't have even asked. We've got to somehow bring this back. We are starting, as of this Sunday, uh, we're going to be looking through a number of Paul's letters. We're, um, we're kind of traipsing through a few of Paul's letters. We're not looking at an entire book, with the exception of this Sunday, where we are looking at a whole book in one fell swoop because it's the shortest book in all of Scripture, the book of Philemon. Uh, and... Uh, it's, it's one that I think often gets uh, overlooked, but I think there's uh, some rich, rich good news for us here this morning in this book. So we're going to read it in its entirety, all 20 some odd, 25 verses of the book of Philemon. It'll be on the screen. You can follow along in your Bibles or on your phone. But if you'd like to just listen, this is how Philemon uh, and his household would have probably heard this letter from Paul read to them. Paul a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Appia and our, our sister and Archippus, our fellow soldier, to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love 
has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. And just a quick note there, Onesimus in the Greek means useful. So Paul's doing a little wordplay there. I'm sending him, Onesimus, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. I'm glad you picked up on that. <laughs> I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. One more thing, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. So do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Lord, be our teacher this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this letter. Give it new life in our hearts and in our minds and our imaginations. Fill us with your spirit that we would leave here transformed by your power. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord. Amen. So there's, a, there's a, obviously a backstory here to this letter, right? There's a lot that's happened between Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus uh, and we're just getting Paul's letter in response. But you can, I mean, if you're paying attention, you can kind of figure out what's going on here. Philemon is uh, someone of some means, right? He's got, he, he owns slaves, and, and it seems like what, from what Paul's writing that there's a church that meets in his house, so he's probably got a sizable house of some sort. Onesimus, this guy whose name means useful, uh, has, has left him, has run away. He's a runaway slave. And at some point has run into Paul. Paul himself right now is in prison writing these letters. He writes a series of his letters from prison. Uh, and Onesimus becomes a follower of Jesus through Paul's witness and becomes uh, kind of an, an aide, a helper to Paul. But Paul says, there's something that needs to be made right here. You ha you've run away um, from this other brother in the Lord. Now, Paul also knows Philemon, and Paul, it seems here, has led him to the Lord uh, prior to him being in prison now. And so he is writing to Philemon to say, will you take 
Onesimus back, not as a slave, not as a runaway slave, um, but as a brother. Uh, Philemon, as a slave owner, had every right over every aspect of Onesimus' life. And the, the consequence of being a runaway slave uh, was, as you can imagine, uh, usually cost the slave their life. Um, so the stakes are high here, right? And as I, I was reflecting on this letter, uh, it struck me that there's kind of a what and a how to this letter. And the what is a reconciled relationship. Uh, the what is that, that Paul would like to see happen is that Philemon would take Onesimus back, that he would not uh, treat him as sort of the rules of society would demand or, or would give him permission to do, to, to punish him for being a runaway slave, but he, but he would take him back as a brother in the Lord and all that that means. Uh, even though there's been um, personal hurt uh, financial damage that's been done to Philemon. Uh, there's all kinds of expectations around how he's supposed to interact as a slave owner with his slaves, right? That regardless of all of that, that there would be a reconciled relationship. The how this is going to happen is love. That's how this is going to take place. That's how this reconciliation is going to happen. So the what is a reconciled relationship. The how is love. Uh, we were we spent the next the, or the last month um, in the book of Hebrews, and the last couple of weeks uh, there was this strong theme of family. That that part of how we reconceive of our relationship with each other in the church is that of family, and that that was a, a radical concept to the early church, to first century Palestine, where um, to be part of someone's family meant that you shared resources together, like you had each other's back in every meaningful way. Um, I mean, inheritance is part of it. It's, it's not just like a, a cute, fuzzy kind of like, oh, hey, brother. Uh, I mean, it really carried some weight that the early church would look at each other and in Christ understand their relationship to be family. And that continues with this letter, that Paul is recasting this relationship in light of family brother. That's the new way you're supposed to think about each other. And it's not just restoring a relationship like, uh, you know, Onesimus, you're going to go back um, and Philemon is just going to decide not to punish you. Um, the, the vision of this reconciled relationship is so much deeper than that, right? Uh, it's, it's not just uh, the absence of punishment, but it is, again, this sense that at the foot of the cross, there are no, there's no hierarchy here between Philemon, who's clearly a, you know, a successful businessman, has a household, owns slaves, and Onesimus, who's like, you know, outside of Paul, who's in prison, <laughs> Onesimus is sort of just the next tier up as a slave. Paul's saying, no, no, each one of us, through Christ, at the foot of the cross, each one of us is on the same level field. None of us below or above each other. And again, I mentioned this before, but the, this is not just a, a nice sentiment. There's been, you know, deep, there's been damage that's been done to this relationship. This has cost Philemon money, having Onesimus, his slave, run away. There's been financial damage. There's uh, maybe his reputation has been tarnished in the community. And, and what will people think if he, a slave comes back and he doesn't punish them as people expect him to do? Uh, what will that do to his uh, status in the community? What will people think of him? Will he 
be a good Roman citizen? And then think of Onesimus and the risk that he's being asked to take, right? I mean, he knows what Philemon has the power to do to him, and yet Paul is asking him to be vulnerable, to, to take a risk and to seek the reconciliation of this relationship by going back. Um, you know, it's not, it's not clear if there's any guarantee given before Onesimus is to make this trek back to, to Philemon. Uh, this very well could be him carrying this letter, um, not knowing how Philemon will respond to this. When we, uh, in Seattle in 2019, read this letter, I think we all want Paul to say a little more about slavery than he does. I think we want him to uh, be more bold in addressing the systemic evil of slavery as this institution that propped up this, uh, the whole Roman economic <laughs> system, right? We want him to come out and say more about that. And he doesn't. Um, and uh, if you're like me, that's, that's just... We're like, come on, say, you know, come on, Paul, give me more. Um, but I think uh, there's, there's two things to remember here. One is that Paul is interested right now in, in, in Philemon, in this individual, and in him paying attention to the relationships in his life and asking what does Philemon, as a follower of Christ, what do these relationships need to look like? It's very personal. It's very, uh, in some ways, kind of an individual you need to ask this for yourself. The other thing to recognize, too, is as we read uh, the rest of the New Testament, uh, which, another plug, you will do if you go to their Bible study, um, and you see the way that Jesus interacts with those on the margins, and the way that he treats everyone with dignity and value. And if you read the rest of Paul's letters, and you see Paul say, hey, if you're a slave and you have the opportunity to gain your freedom, do it. That's a good thing. And as you uh, read a vision of Revelation, of the new heavens and the new earth, uh, where there's no more sorrow and there's nothing like slavery, you get a vision, right? You get an image that uh, God's intent for the world uh, is that slavery would not be a part of it. This is, this is God's desire and God's hope. But Paul here um, is not as concerned with addressing the systemic issue of it, the, the kind of the cultural and societal institution of slavery, as he is with asking Philemon, for you, for you, Philemon, how are you going to be different? Because Jesus has paid the penalty for your sins and has given you new life. How are you going to be transformed by that reality? And I think uh, there's, a, there's a good word for us in there, which is not that we should not engage at things at systemic levels. It's not that we should not uh, care about the, you know, the systems and the powers that are at work in our world, but that sometimes uh, my sense is that we go there so quickly that we forget to simply look at our spheres of influence, that we forget to look at where we are and the relationships that we have and ask, first and foremost, this is where Christ calls me to begin this work of reconciliation. This is first and foremost where I'm called to, to live as part of God's kingdom, where all of us are on the same plane at the foot of the cross. So I think there's some questions that this letter raises up for us, right? Which is, who, who is it that we need to be reconciled to? Not generally speaking, 
very specifically speaking. Who is harm to us that we need to forgive? No matter what that cost is. Who have we harmed that we need to go and seek forgiveness from? Who do we need to engage with, um, not as a superior, uh, but, but as an equal, as a brother, as a sister? It's a risk. It was a risk for Onesimus. It was a, a risk for Philemon to engage with this wife. So, so that, I think, that's the, the vision of the what of this letter. The, the what that Paul is hoping happens is this reconciliation between people who are on vastly different sides of the societal power structures of first century Palestine. That they would see each other as brothers and treat each other as brothers. But the how is a little more subtle in this letter, but I think there's so much here for us. And the how this happens is love. Love is how this happens. So one of, one of the great frustrations in parenting, right, is when you, you ultimately get to a conversation where you just have to say, because I told you so, right? <laughs> like that's sort of all you have left uh, in your request for certain behaviors. Um, what is a joy in parenting? What like warms my heart like nothing else uh, is, is when you watch, you, you kind of catch your kid in the act of sharing of their own will, right? Of, of showing kindness to a friend or a sibling or or unasked for, just telling you that they love you. Like those, oh my gosh, <laughs> those moments. Um, and, and Paul, uh, he could have pulled the because I told you so, right? He even alludes to this, and you guys caught, I was so glad that you guys caught this. There's several times throughout this letter, and it's funny, right? Because there's a, there's a formality to the way that Paul is writing this letter. Um, he doesn't even raise Onesimus' name until he has buttered Philemon up. You know, and, and praised him for all of the ways that he's been faithful to God's people. And then he kind of brings Onesimus in there. And there's, this, there's a formality, but Paul kind of finds himself stuck because he's like, I don't want to lean into the formality. I don't want to rely on the authority that I have, though I do have it, lest you forget, right? You get, I mean, there's this tension he feels he's, in the way he's writing. But ultimately he's saying, I could. I could say, do this because I told you so. I want this to come from the heart. I want this to be voluntary. I want this to be out of an overflow of the love of Christ that's, that's put in you. I want that to transform the way that you treat this brother. So he could have said, I, because I told you so, but he doesn't. And it's, what's interesting is that Paul is actually demonstrating here the very thing he wants Philemon to do. He's saying, I have the authority and the power here to demand this of you, but I'm going to give that up. I'm going to set that aside because I want you to do the same thing. And ultimately, I'm doing this because Christ has done this for us. This is the model that we see in Christ, giving up authority, giving up power, and using it to serve, to love. Um. I was reminded, there's several different passages that I was reminded of as I've been spending time in Philemon. Uh, one is another letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, uh, where he has this wonderful chapter uh, called, often called the love, the love chapter, right? 
chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. And that chapter begins with Paul describing these amazing feats that he might do, right? So there's this, he talks about these amazing mystical experiences, speaking in tongues, right? Uh, having this mystical intimacy, uh, these spiritual experiences. He talks about having knowledge and understanding and wisdom, like kind of gaining all this head knowledge. And then he talks about having, living a sacrificial life. And he could do all of that, but if he doesn't have love motivating him, driving him into those things, it's empty, void, meaningless. He has nothing. And I think there's some of that here. Like for, for Philemon to, to do dutifully what Paul has asked him to do would be a good thing. It wouldn't be a bad thing. It'd be a good thing. But it would miss the mark, which is Philemon, you have been shown so much love and grace in Christ. Can you let that love and grace transform your, transform your heart so that as Onesimus comes back to you, you see him in a completely different way and you treat him in a completely different way because he's now your brother. Christ has bonded you two together. I... Uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I read this tension that Paul is feeling with, uh, um, I want to just, I, I have the ability to just use my authority and tell you what to do, but I want it to come from love. And, and I think on the receiving end, I think sometimes we might actually prefer just to be told what to do. I don't know if that, I mean, I, I feel that sometimes, right? I just want to be, tell me what to do, I'll do it, and then I'll know that I did the right thing, you know? Um, but that is not what the gospel is about. That is not what uh, us as new creations in Christ uh, are intended to do. Christ comes in and he changes the heart so that it overflows into our actions and lives. Like that's the, that's the trajectory of what Christ does for us. Now sometimes we have to practice that, right? Sometimes we do have to kind of do the thing, acknowledging like I, I am doing this because I want it to be from love. <laughs> it's not from love yet. <laughs> But I trust that in the doing of it, in the forgiving of the person that I don't yet feel forgiveness towards, right? In the sacrificial giving, when really I want that money for me still, I do. I don't want to give it. But in the sacrificial giving, I'm trusting that I'm, I'm training myself in love. So there is an element of that that can work its way into our hearts and be a part of this transformative work that Christ is doing. But the goal... Uh, of the gospel is that our hearts ultimately would be changed and transformed, shaped by this love that Christ has poured out for us. So the, the end of this story, uh, we don't see, right? We just, we kind of get a little bit of the backstory because of what Paul writes, and this letter gets sent, and we assume it arrives, which is how we have it preserved. It's part of our scriptures. Um, but I, I just started imagining and wondering, you know, what, what goes on after this letter arrives? How does Philemon respond? And, and it, it got me reflecting again on this tension between acting in response to authority versus acting out of love. And if, if Philemon, if Paul says, do this, I'm, I'm your spiritual father, I have this authority to command you to do this. You need to do this, it's the right thing. If Philemon does that, maybe he responds, and maybe his relationship with Onesimus is, is changed in some meaningful way. Maybe. Maybe not. It, I don't know. 
Um, but it's safe to assume, I think, that Philemon has other slaves as part of his household. It's safe to assume that this is not just a, a one-off incident, that, that maybe there's another slave that ran off, or maybe there's just other slaves in his home. Uh, appealing to the love in his heart that is meant to change the way that he relates to these people who have been made in the image of God, who are not property, who are not just, I mean, this, this is kind of the humor around Onesimus's name is useful, right? That You think, well, that's how a slave owner treats or views a slave, right? Are they useful or are they useless? If they're useful, great, I don't keep them. If they're useless, well then, who knows what's going to happen? 